So James chapter 1, verses 12 to 25. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it conceives, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it, when it is fully grown, gives, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We're in the second passage um, of our series in James. This is our second uh, look at this book. I don't know if we we're all uh, listening in for James 1, but, but I've been finding, I don't know about you, but I've been finding James has been exactly what I needed to hear, at least in the last week. And a few others have mentioned that as well. Um, if, you, if you did miss out last week, uh, James, he's the brother of Jesus. He's writing um, uh, to a whole uh, range of Christians who've probably been thrown out of Jerusalem. He's the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he's telling them how to respond to trials of various kinds. And he's telling us that too. Wow, where do Christians turn when the going gets tough? When they're going through the mill, how should Christians react and James does have a whole variety of challenges in mind. I'm not going to go through the list I said last week, but, but there are lots of different challenges that people face, and most of them are more difficult under the current conditions with COVID. And that's what I said on Sunday. And then Monday to Saturday, my life just kind of, <laughs> just kind of proved it. I experienced it Monday to Saturday. And nothing went really wrong. They're not talking tragedies, nothing that would hit the news um, but a variety of trials, challenges, difficulties. Um, so here's my list. Jesse's chronic fatigue has been really bad this week. Um, so headaches, exhaustion, um, that kind of thing. Uh, Grace started school, and at least for Monday to Thursday, it was pretty awful. Each morning, like screaming all the way there and making a run for it when we got to the school door. All the other parents thinking, well, I'm glad my child's not reacting like that. <laughs> Uh, various ministry challenges that I've been thinking over in my mind, sometimes lost sleep over. Um, and then Josh, well, the kids have had a cold. Josh, quite a bad one. He became really grouchy. And I got a splinter, just a little bit of splinter in my finger doing something on Saturday. None of those are earth-shattering in scale. And, and actually, compared to what people are going through across the nation, and I'm aware a number in our church family 
are facing things far more serious than that. And actually, we've got loads of good gifts and good things going on this week. Lots to thank God for, lots of support. But the challenge of James 1 was that even that list of trials should be counted joy. James 1, chapter 1, verse 2 says this. It's not on the sheet, but if you've got a Bible or a phone. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It has been really good for me to have those words ringing in my ears as I went through this week. And I know a number around the church have said that with challenges they're facing. And actually, the kind of practical helpfulness of James is going to carry on this week. So verse 19, have a look at that. This is on the service sheet. Verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's a timely reminder when the pressure is on and the trials seem to be accumulating whether it's with a four-year-old or a spouse or stressful work, whatever it is, well, watch out for anger. Don't get angry quickly. Or verse 22, that's another really helpful one. Again, really practical, and this is where we're going to end today. Be doers of the word, not just hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That's a great reminder for a preacher who does all the talking up here, but do I do any of the living It's a good reminder if we're listening as well, whether in the building or online. So James has just been a great blessing for me. And and hopefully today, in these key areas of anger and obedience, um, it will be a great help to us. But we're not actually going to start jumping straight to anger and obedience. That's points two and three. That's not where we're going to start. Because that's not actually where the gospel starts or where Christianity starts or where James starts. Actually, this is really important. If you're someone listening in who's not a Christian, not following Jesus as king and saviour, the message of the Bible, or James, or Jesus, it's all the same. The message of the Bible is not, you've got to buck up your ideas, you've got to try harder, pull up your socks, be a nice person, stop being angry, do the right things. Because that on its own would not be good news for anyone. We're going to see none of us have the ability to always control our anger or our speech, to always stop doing things we know are wrong. Uh, if you don't believe me, you can try it just for a month, say, don't lie. See how that goes. The good news starts somewhere else. The Christian message starts with what God does for us and in us. The changes in behavior flow out from that. And we're going to start with that this morning. So, so point one, we're going to start with um, the changes that God makes on the inside of us before we get to the stuff on the outside, the behavior that, that flows out the pipe, if you like. And I've called this, you'll see on the, the outline, I've called this James's spiritual ultrasound. I'm doing that because pregnancy is the imagery he's using in verses 12 to 18. He's talking about two different kinds of birth that we can be involved in, as it were. So look, verse 15, there's a kind of horrible birth in verse 15. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Kind of a horrible family tree. And then in verse 18, there's a very different kind of birth, what Christians call the new birth or being born again. Verse 18, of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth 
that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So, two kinds of birth going on at the start of our passage. And James's point is, when you sit a Christian down at the spiritual ultrasound machine to see kind of what forces are at work inside them, well, there's natural desires that can give birth to sin, and there's God's word of truth, as verse 21 calls it, the implanted word, and that's able to save our souls and able to grow us into maturity, into wholeness, grow us up to salvation. That's what's going on inside us. And so James's first point is don't be deceived about what's inside you. Verses 12 to 18, don't be deceived about what's inside you. I came across a, in a newspaper um, a letter to the editor from a doctor. They were arguing that um, it's really important that GP uh, con- consultations don't all happen online. They, they were arguing that, uh, saying we really need to be in person. And I could think of lots of good reasons why that might be sensible, but their one surprised me. And um, so her explanation was this. Let me read. I've seen two cases of concealed pregnancy in my career as a GP. This is where a woman presents late in pregnancy with seemingly no idea she is pregnant or in deep psychological denial. And the doctor went on to say that a virtual consultation may have sent them away with medicine for stomachache. But in, 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 in-person examination revealed, actually in one, in one of these examples, it revealed that this lady was eight months pregnant, one month from full term. James says, don't be deceived about what's actually going on inside you if you're a Christian. The Bible works like a mirror. We'll see that later. Or I think if you had the imagery, an ultrasound machine. It, it, it tells us what we're really like on the inside. What's going on in there? And particularly in verse 13, rather than blaming God for temptations to sin when we're under pressure, no, we should realize the temptations to sin come from in here, inside us. That is to say, it's never purely circumstances that cause me to sin or to lie or to grumble or to envy or to rage or to lust or to pride or or whatever else. Think of Jesus. He was in the most horrendous circumstances, faced the hugest provocation, but not a word of deceit or sin. That is, it's not the trial's fault, not the stressful situation's fault, not someone else's fault, definitely not God's fault. No, get out the ultrasound. It's my own desires that are triggering that temptation to sin. And that sin, when it grows up, can lead to death. Do you see that? The testing circumstances, they may have added some pressure. They didn't make the baby. Verse 14, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. I mean, it's a really graphic way of describing the kind of process of sliding into sin, isn't it? It's like being seduced into a relationship that we know is wrong, and then one thing leads to another, and pretty soon there's a baby. Sin comes forth. And then the picture gets even more kind of nightmarish, because when sin grows up and has the grandchild, it's death. That's the picture. But actually, we've seen The reality, I think lots of us have seen this, whether in ourselves or others, a one-off giving in to sin becomes a pattern, which becomes a habit, which becomes slavery, 
and left unchecked would lead us to death. And that can be with, with drugs or with drink or with um, sex outside marriage or with lying or with pornography or with gossiping or with pride or with anger or with a hundred other things. We can get into these spirals of wrong behavior. And James says that potential lies in our hearts. If you've been a Christian for any time, you probably know that. So don't be deceived. It's not God tempting me. It's me tempting me. Don't blame God. Don't blame the circumstances. There is always a way out, a way through. But we're so tempted to grab that seductive sin button. Self-destructive button, actually, but it's so seductive. Now, if you know the Bible, you might be thinking, well, hang on, temptation doesn't just come from there. Doesn't it come from the world around us? And doesn't it come from the devil as well, kind of spiritual warfare? And yeah, that's true. In chapter 4, James is going to get there. But actually, those external voices are appealing to what's already in here. James says at the start of the letter, let's just front up. The responsibility lies at my own door, my own heart. And if you don't believe James, what about his brother? Jesus himself said in Mark 7, to some religious people who were deceiving themselves, and their, their kind of washing rituals, their hands and their pots and things, were even more stringent than we are here at church under coronavirus. And they really believed they were clean enough because they were washing the outside. And Jesus said... Out of the heart of people come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they make you unclean. And maybe one or two things on that list you think, well, that's not me, but by the end... (laughs) Jesus says it comes out of here. And let me say, that has been so helpful for me to be reflecting on this week. So at times when the pressure's on and I'm tempted to anger or to pride or to self-justifying defensiveness or to covetousness, if only I had that person's circumstances, well, actually, it's not inevitable that I go down that road That path of sin, it's one possible path I could take. That seed in my heart could lead down the family tree of sin and death, but God's not forcing me that way. Just like we saw in the Proverbs, there is another path we can take. There's always a fork in the road at any decision point. He's calling me to walk in the opposite direction. And this is where verse 18 comes in, the other birth, 18. Uh, You see, God only knows how to give good gifts And possibly the most precious of all his gifts to us is this new birth in our hearts by the gospel. That is, when we hear and trust in the good news of Jesus Christ dying for our sins on the cross, paying for our distorted desires and all the times we've given in to them, paying the penalty, well, that opens the way to this new birth. Verse 18, of his own will, God brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And verse 21, end, the, end of 21, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. It's wonderful news. I'm actually really glad James put it in or else this first point would have been just really depressing. <laughs> kind of, it's, it's a mess in there. What can you do? No, it, it, it's a mess in there and God has done something. 
He's put his word right in our hearts. It's the great promise, actually, when you read through the prophets of the Old Testament, that one day, by God's spirit, he'd give us a new heart, a heart of flesh. He'd write his law on our hearts. So we don't need to despair. He gives us the power to actually do some extraordinary things under testing circumstances, to say no to sin when going through trials, to even count trials as joy as we trust God through them rather than a trial being a kind of brick, one more brick to throw at God in futile rebellion. So that's the spiritual ultrasound, two forces at work in my heart. And wonderfully, God's word is so powerful, as 21 puts it, able to save your souls if we listen to it, if we obey it, do what it says. That's the key, but more on that later. That's where James is going to go in points two and three. Just before we move on to that, I just want to pause and apply that first point because I think, I think this is so countercultural to what we're being told uh, in society around us uh, and sometimes what we instinctively think. Uh, there's two, two things I want to say, two kind of assumptions in our culture that, that, that this cuts against. Um, firstly, just in terms of what it's saying about human nature, I think we're led to believe uh, it's very widely held and widely reinforced, whether from schooling or media or Disney films or whichever animated film provider you prefer. Um, from all of those sources, we hear the, the, the widely held assumption that humans are essentially good on the inside. Albeit there are a few bad apples out there, but the rest of us are fine. Or maybe, yes, I sometimes make mistakes, I'll admit I'm not perfect, but deep down I'm good. I think believing that human nature is essentially good is an amazing fiction. I mean, I know it's convenient and it's nice to think positively, but I really don't know how it holds up against the evidence over generations, centuries, and around the world. You look on a global level or a societal level, you even just watch one household under lockdown pressure. I don't know how we believe that we're all good on the inside. That scramble for loo rolls at the start of lockdown. I'm not sure that was an amazing advert for the kind of essentially selfless nature of humanity. And now as lockdown guidelines get kind of um, opened up, well, it seems to me half the society are kind of ignoring them when they're not convenient, just get on and do my own thing, while the other half of us are, are kind of tutting with righteous pride, kind of how dare they look at them, they don't care about other people, and yet we're probably making the occasional exception somewhere for ourselves. Jesus was right. Out of the heart of man come envy, slander, pride. All these evil things come from within. It turns out it only actually takes a small amount of pressure or trial or challenge to bring the worst out of me. So that's the first challenge. Uh, James says um, about kind of human nature. Uh, that, that uh, we have the seeds of selfishness right inside our hearts. The second kind of challenge to our culture's way of thinking follows on from that. You see, James thinks the best way to be a human being in this life 
is not to just follow your desires wherever they lead. Let me say that again because it's the opposite of what we're told in in the kind of individualistic, um, self-creating West. The best way to be a human being in this life, says the Bible, is not actually to just follow your desires, to just do whatever you want, wherever it leads. I think that's quite a radical thought, actually, at the moment in our culture, that is ultimate authenticity as a human being, being the very best person, the best version of you that you can be, it's not just doing whatever I want. It's not just running with whatever I feel like. It's not just being myself in that sense. I think most of us know that if we're, if we're trying to bring up children. We're trying to encourage them to, to share or to be nice or to, to not hit each other. But we forget that with adults. Biblically, being authentically human, truly human, is to, being, is to be aligned with what our creator says we are to be realigned with what he says true humanity is, a humanity that's characterized by love for him and love for neighbor, not just characterized by pursuing my own agenda, my own dreams, regardless of the impact on others. Again, that's just radical, a radically different wisdom, different perspective on life. So James says, don't just go with the flow, not just the flow in the world, but the flow in here. We need God's word, his implanted word, to shape the way we go. All of which leaves the question, well, who are you going to listen to? Which voice are you going to listen to? They're both in there. (laughs) My own desires, pulling me to sin. God's word, pulling me to be who I should be. Will we indulge temptation or obey what God says? That's the choice we face every day, multiple times a day. And actually, this, these Christians that James was, was writing to, they were doing both, or trying to do both. Um, if you've zoned out, especially, I know it's hard watching online and staying concentrated, just come back on board for a moment. This is a, a kind of summary of James of where we got to. Um, and if you're in the room and have zoned out, please come back on, on the bus. Um, we've been saying in this series so far that James is writing to a double-minded group of Christians. I used the picture last week of They have one foot in the boat with Jesus, but one foot planted firmly still in the world. That is, they're listening to God's word. They're here at the sermons. They're linked in with church. But if you look at their lives, their their words, their their, their thoughts, um, actually, they're still characterized by living the way the world lives, still walking in line with those um, wrong desires. It's a double-minded existence, a kind of split personality spirituality, and it's unstable, it's unsustainable. I mean, just think of that picture, the the leg in the boat, the leg in the bank, that's not going to end well. That's what's going on, and we saw that last week, but this week, James has got out the ultrasound and and started to explain why that happens, because actually, the seeds of both directions are in my heart. My heart is an idol factory, it's still pumping out the temptations to sin, And yet God's word is planted in there, leading me to live his way, to to head to growth and eternal life. And James says, you can't listen to both those voices. You can't live with one foot in each camp. And so listen to God's life-giving word, not my deadly desires. That was point one. Don't be deceived by what's inside. But then, verse 19, as we move on to point two, verse 19 seems to change the topic abruptly. 
Suddenly, James switches from listening to God's word to talking about anger and how we speak to people. Let me read it, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. At first, it sounds like a change of subject. I'm not actually sure it is, though. Just look at the first phrase. Let every person be quick to hear. Just look at the last phrase. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Oh, so hang on. Verse 18 was talking about God's word. And now we're being encouraged to listen to God's word. And actually, verse 22 is going to go on to say we need to obey God's word. So actually, all the way through this passage, we're thinking about how we respond to God's word. But nevertheless, he does bring up anger. I mean, that's all over the verses. So, so, so what's the connection between anger and listening to God's words? Well, it could just be that these Christians were getting angry and falling out with each other. And James is pointing to this as evidence that they're not living by God's word. They're not doing God's word. Later in the book, that is what he says. So chapter 4, verse 1 says exactly this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Divided heart Christianity leads to divided church disunity. That's what's going on in chapter 4. It's a symptom of their divided heart. But here in chapter 1, I don't think that's the stage of the doctor's diagnosis we're at. Here in chapter 1, he's bringing up anger as a blockage to even hearing God's word. Let me say that again, it's important. He's bringing up anger as a blockage to even hearing what God has to say. Let me put it like this. Have you ever tried to talk to an angry person? Like a really angry person. Tried to get something across to them. Tried to explain that they've misunderstood or whatever. It's actually very hard for them to listen. Maybe you've experienced that yourself. Maybe you're angry and someone says to you, you're just not actually listening to what I'm saying. When angry, we can be so desperate to kind of say our piece, to defend our point, to explain and justify our indignation. So desperate to talk that we don't have ears to listen. You can imagine that if I go back to the doctor's surgery for a moment. You can imagine that. The angry patient comes in feeling really uncomfortable. This tummy ache, it's been there for eight months and they're just so angry. They don't actually stop to listen. Don't let the doctor get a word in edgeways. Just look at verse 19 again. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Angry people can struggle to have the humility to stop talking and to listen. Look at how verse 21 puts it. Receive with meekness the implanted word. Now the passage doesn't actually say whether this anger is anger directed at people or against God. And I think both are in view. Think about it. If they're so busy fighting with each other as a church family, they're so busy trying to get a word in to defend their corner, well, they're definitely not going to have open ears to listen to what God has to say. 
Um, I don't know if you've ever had that experience. You're sitting in a sermon, you're a bit miffed with someone at church, and you listen to some application, and you think, oh, I really hope they're listening to this. <laughs> or you pray, you pray for wisdom, but you don't pray, Lord, give me wisdom, which is the James 1 prayer. You pray, give them wisdom out of annoyance. Even in a small group, if, if everyone um, hasn't learned to be slow to speak and quick to hear, sometimes a small group, even if they're not angry at each other, sometimes a small group can just be, I really want to say my piece. I want to kind of show myself, prove myself that I can, I can handle the Bible, rather than turning up to listen, to actually learn, to be changed, to hear others and what they can contribute. So it, it could be they're angry with each other or speaking too much to one another. But it's also true, if we're angry at God perhaps for the trials he's put us through, perhaps for the things that have happened in our lives. Especially if we think he's to blame for sin and the mess it's made of our life. Or you put me in the situation. Again, we will not be quick to hear his word. It's definitely hard to get the Bible open in a family if the spouses are angry at each other or if we're mad at the kids all the time. In a flat situation where there's a build-up of resentment and annoyance, usually that's a flat that isn't praying together or looking at the Bible together. And let's be honest, some of the stresses and strains of the current environment, they do exacerbate tensions, don't they? In home life, in work life, in church life. Uh, with these trials does come the temptation to anger, the temptation to disunity, I mean, even just what we do with the guidelines and kind of how church, work, how church life works on a Sunday um, or midweek. There's a hundred different kind of ideas, shades of opinion on what we should do and not do, how we manage risk. And easily that could, those kind of different views could become entrenched positions and then angry attacks on those who think differently, kind of taking it personally. I'm not aware of that happening at Chalmers, but it's a definite risk as we face this trial. And if we did start quarreling with each other, if we sat here on a Sunday thinking, well, I can't believe so-and-so's view about how the chairs should be set out is, is what's ended up happening, well, we'd be taking our eyes off, or really our ears off, what God has to say to us. And so very practically, James says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's not to say there's no such thing as righteous anger. Jesus got angry. Uh, Ephesians 4 says we can be angry and not sin. But James, with his ultrasound in hand, knows how easily anger is the context for all those other proud and um, jealous and um, selfish desires to kind of jump on the bandwagon and all sorts of cruelty or unkind language and sin to flow out. And he says, get rid of it all. Verse 21, put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word. In terms of what receiving the word actually looks like, this is our third point and, and we'll be much shorter on this. In terms of what James means by receive the implanted word, well, it's important to say he's not so much talking about what we're doing at the moment. Yes, we're listening. But from verse 22 onwards, he's interested in what happens when we leave when we turn off the screen or go out the door? Um, will we instantly forget? Will we ignore what God said to us? 
Verse 22, be doers of the word, not just hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It's actually the second uh, warning against deceiving ourselves in the passage. The first one was being deceived about what's in here, believing the lie that God's to blame for my sin, not myself. The second one is thinking that just hearing the word will be enough to fix that. That's not right at all. God's word is powerful, but only if we obey it, only if we actually live it out, do it, do what it says. And that's, again, obvious. If you think about the doctor's surgery, the, um, the, the examination reveals what's going on. It turns out you're eight months pregnant. You need to take radical action to make sure this baby is safe. You need to, you need to change in light of this consultation. And that person walks out, and they've got plans for lunch, and then hoping to do something different that afternoon, and then the week's really busy, and so they just forget never do anything in light of what they've been told. I mean, it's absurd, isn't it? In that context, you think, well, hang on, you'd never do that. That's life and death. I mean, that, that, that really matters. And James would say, well, this is eternal life and death. What God says to us really matters. He's the eternal doctor for us. And, and to flesh out the absurdity, he gives this picture of a mirror. Um, verse uh, 23, the, the man who... Uh, Anyone who's a hearer of the word not a doer is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, looks at himself, goes away, at once forgets what he was like. Actually, in my household, I'm notorious about managing to get through a whole morning without ever looking in the mirror and then going out to a meeting. And um, the the most common effect uh, is I have a kind of wingding, Grace, uh, Jesse calls them, like a bit of hair that's kind of sticking up at a crazy angle. And that quite often happens when I didn't look at the mirror. But now, in lockdown life, I keep going onto video calls where I get a kind of picture of my face right there. You can't miss it. I look intently and there it is. And so now I always see that, whoa, how did my hair get so long? Why is it pointing in that direction? And James is saying it'd be crazy, having seen that, or even worse, my kind of nightmare scenario is the, the, the camera turns on and I see my screen, everyone else sees it, and I'm still wearing pajamas and this kind of Josh's food is all over my, um, all over my front or something. Hasn't happened yet, but it does worry me. But if you did do that and then you just think, well, I've done that now, click, self-view, shut that down. And just carry on with the meeting, carry on with the day. It's a busy day after all. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently in his natural face in a mirror, looks at himself, goes away, at once forgets what he was like. Amazing how often that happens in the church. I actually think there's more risk of it happening at the moment. For a few reasons. I think if we're in the building, uh, in the old days we would have had a a cup of coffee and been able to talk to each other for an extended time about um, how's life and how does that word God's just given us affect life. Harder without that. I think if you're on YouTube rather than Zoom, I know the stream's better, the audio's better, all that kind of stuff, but if you don't switch to Zoom for a breakout group, it's harder to put God's word into practice. So it can just flip, flip out of our minds again. James says, don't just hear it, do it. And as we go on through this book, we're going to see lots and lots and lots of practical examples of what it looks like to live it, to do it. And no doubt it will certainly um, kind of give us a spiritual health check. I know myself, as I've been reading the book, all sorts of things have challenged my behavior and my speech. It's one of the reasons, of course, why small groups are so precious 
Because we don't just have a kind of one-off Bible study and then, and then kind of never see those people again. That's the da- danger of Zoom groups, I guess, the breakouts. It's different people each week. So you can't actually ask, oh, how did it go trying to live out whatever you were challenged by last week? Or, or we've been praying for you in this area. Have you managed to, whatever it is, trust God with grace going to school? Or have you managed to control your anger when things are difficult? Um, small groups are precious for that. And, and if you're not in one, now's a great time to join before we begin Romans that doesn't make life easy. It's not some magical solution. In fact, the Bible promises us life is full of trials. But what it does do is we support each other in the Christian life is we help each other keep this perspective on trials. Help each other not just hear the word, but do it. Put it into practice. Our time is up. Much more on that um, in the coming weeks in terms of practical areas uh, that, that James wants us to to grow in, to change, to stop being double, double-minded in. But just as we close, that the one area that has begun to be flagged up is anger. And I just want to say, if anyone, actually, when you, when you do a kind of quick MOT of anger, how is my patience with those around me, those closest to me? How is, how is the way I think and talk about other people in my head or even out my mouth going at the moment? It may be that some of us need to repent of things. Likewise, if we've railed against God in anger. Don't get me wrong, the Psalms often cry out to God in anguish, even ask a kind of the desperate question, how long, O Lord? Job himself, who gets commended at the end of James, um, was often kind of uh, uh, very pained and even, you might say, angry at his circumstances and asking God what's going on. But never should we imply that God's to blame for our sin or our temptations to sin, our wrong choices of paths. We should never lay the blame at God's door. And if we have been doing that, if we've been denying that his character is good, holy good, the father of lights, only gives good gifts, if we have been doing that, a great thing to do, so as not just to hear this word, but do it, would this afternoon go to our heavenly father and apologize and ask for wisdom to change. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are a giver of good gifts and that you give without reproach to those of us who ask for wisdom. And we know we need wisdom. We need you to guide us by your word, to change us, and to give us the wisdom not just to hear your word, but to do it. We pray that you would help us to do that today, this week, and on through this series in James. In Jesus' name, amen.